Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. Welcome to the Georgia Today podcast from GPB News. Today is Thursday, August 10th. I'm Peter Biello. On today's episode, a new study on clean energy shows Georgia Power still has a ways to go. The population of Metro Atlanta crosses the 5 million mark, and we speak with one of the conductors of a study on the USDA's nutrition program for women, infants, and children. These stories and more are coming up on this edition of Georgia Today. Georgia Power says it's making progress toward carbon neutrality with plans to retire all but one of its coal-fired power plants and double its renewable energy portfolio. But a report on carbon neutrality in the South released yesterday by a clean energy group suggests the company still needs to make some big changes. GPB's Grant Blankenship reports. Georgia Power has a state-approved plan to go carbon neutral by 2050, but in their analysis of actual cuts and projected cuts by energy producers, researchers with the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy say they doubt Georgia Power's parent company, the Southern Company, will hit the mark. Study co-author Maggie Schober. Somewhere around 2030, we really see a a kind of flattening out of these uh, emissions, and that's very worrisome. I mean, if we're going to be uh, getting to uh, zero by you know, anywhere between 2035 and 2050, uh, you know, flat emissions are obviously not going to get us there. To get there, they suggest a doubling of renewable energy over what Georgia Power has promised state regulators by 2035. For GPB News, I'm Grant Blankenship in Macon. State Labor Commissioner Bruce Thompson says his office has found more than $105 million that should have been turned over to state and federal treasuries by his predecessor. GPB's Donna Lowry reports. Thompson says his office discovered the unremitted dollars during a comprehensive internal audit and has now turned the money over to the state. The $105 million is from administrative fees and penalties. And the full impact of this alleged fraudulent activity is yet to be completely realized. As several important files and records are missing or unavailable. It appears evident that several state and federal statutes have been violated by this previous administration. In a statement, former Labor Commissioner Mark Butler called Thompson's allegations derogatory, false, and political theater. He says he knew about the funds and handled them according to the advice of the Labor Department's legal counsel. For GBB News, I'm Donna Lowry in Atlanta. Metro Atlanta's population hit 5.16 million between April 2022 and April of this year. The Atlanta Regional Commission reported the 11-county Atlanta region added more than 66,000 residents during that time period. The commission's chief analyst says the increase is fueled by strong employment growth. The city of Atlanta, Cherokee, Forsyth, and Henry counties had the fastest rate of population increase. State public health officials say they're taking steps to speed up the processing of medical marijuana cards since the opening of new dispensaries created a backlog of applications. The spokesperson for the Department of Public Health said yesterday that the agency has added a call center, started shipping cards daily, and doubled the number of locations where residents can pick them up. Dispensaries of low-THC medical cannabis oil started opening in Georgia in April, years after state lawmakers approved them. Lightning scientists estimate that about 600,000 lightning events took place in Georgia on Sunday and Monday when severe storms swept across the state. 
Officials with Finland-based weather monitoring firm Vaisala calculate that roughly 96,000 of those events were ground strikes. Those numbers represent about 10% of the state's average annual lightning strikes. The storms left power outages and caused damage statewide. Among the Georgians dealing with the storm's aftermath are those who care about Atlanta's Grant Park, including Grant Park Foundation Director Michelle Blackman. She says 21 trees in the park came down, causing about $20,000 in damage. Doing some repair pruning to some of the trees that were damaged and repairing landscape that has been messed up. All of those things are what we're going to put our money to uh, over the next month. The foundation is seeking donations and help with cleanup, including work to repair a historic fountain and its surrounding fence. If you like hearing the news from around the state here on Georgia Today, you'll probably like hearing how Georgia's agriculture economy feeds the country and the world on a fork in the road. I'm David Zelski, and on the Fork in the Road podcast, we feature stories from Georgia's farmers, fishermen, merchants, artisans, chefs, and others who help provide Georgia-grown products to folks in the Peach State and beyond. Find it online at gpb.org slash podcast or download it on your favorite podcast platform. Some U.S. Army soldiers stationed in southeast Georgia can now pursue master's degrees without having to leave their base. GPB's Benjamin Payne reports. A new partnership between the Army and Georgia Southern University is bringing a handful of graduate programs this fall to Fort Stewart near Hinesville and Hunter Army Airfield in Savannah. There, qualified soldiers and veterans can pursue an MBA, Master of Science in IT or Health Administration, or a Master of Arts in Professional Communication and Leadership. Olivia Penrod is an Army Education Services officer. The classes will be right there. They won't have to leave the uh, installation. It's helpful to have those face-to-face classes so that you can get that assistance right then and there, as opposed to online and the, um, you know, some of the virtual challenges that come with online education. The new on-base degree programs are also open to Army family members. For GPB News, I'm Benjamin Payne. The United Steelworkers Union said today that member employees at a tire manufacturing plant in Macon have ratified a four-year contract. It's the first union contract covering about 300 workers at Kumo Tire since federal officials recognized the union there two years ago. Union officials say the contract promises better pay and working conditions. The Department of Veterans Affairs says 34,000 Georgians have filed claims under a law turning a year old today that expanded benefits for certain medical conditions. GPB's Orlando Montoya reports the agency finds many veterans are still unaware they're eligible. The benefits relate to conditions connected to burn pits that were used to destroy trash and potentially toxic material. Atlanta Regional Coordinator for the program, Lauren Ruschen, says before the law, veterans had to fight to prove adverse health conditions were connected to burn pits. Now they're just able to show, here's my discharge paperwork that shows I was in you know, Vietnam during this time frame, and here's my uh, diagnosis of hypertension so that they can presume that that is related to it. President Biden on Thursday celebrated the program, the largest expansion of veterans' assistance in decades. For GPB News, I'm Orlando Montoya. Governor Brian Kemp has named a new state economist. Kemp today appointed Robert Bushman of Georgia State University's Public Finance Research Cluster to the position. The state economist plays a central role in the development of the state's annual budget. The USDA's Special Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, commonly known as WIC, is meant to provide pregnant and postpartum women, infants, and children under five years old with a solid base of healthy foods. 
but when children age out of the program, they may suddenly lose access to those foods. A new study conducted at UGA aims to quantify the nutritional loss these kids face. Associate Professor of Agricultural and Applied Economics, Travis Smith, helped conduct the study, and he's with me now. Thank you, Peter. So your study managed to put a number on how much nutritional value kids lost when they aged out of WIC. Uh, What was that number? That's right. We find that when kids age out of WIC and they have yet to enter uh, kindergarten and uh, and kindergarten, they are provided with uh, school meals, that their diet quality uh, declines by up to 20% on average. And how did you determine the loss was 20%? The way the WIC program works is that that uh, you have these benefits until you turn uh, five years old. And the month after you turn five, you lose benefits. So we're effectively comparing uh, kids' quality of the food that they're consuming. So this is uh, reports of food that the kids are actually eating just before they age out of WIC and just after they age out of WIC. And then we additionally compare those that have seamlessly gone into school, so they're in kindergarten, versus those that are not. And so that's where we're able to use those differences And effectively, what we're using is the randomness of when kids are born, right? So um, if if your child was uh, what they call a late school starter, so this would be a kid that's born in the fall or winter, in most states, like the state of Georgia, they would miss the, the deadline to start kindergarten. So they would turn five, they wouldn't be in kindergarten, it would be sometime in the fall or winter, they would lose access to, to WIC, they would not have access to uh, school meal programs. And that's where we see the decline. And for these kids that uh, seamlessly come out of WIC and go into school food programs, we see no effects at all. So you found that as of 2020, there were about 2 million children in the WIC program. About half a million were four years old. And most of those kids would lose WIC before going into kindergarten. Now, some lost it for 11 months. Some didn't lose it for very long. During that loss period, what kind of food choices were parents making for their kids? Yeah, so we did look at um, what, you know, where are the, is this drop in dietary quality coming from? So just to back up how this is measured, this comes from uh, nutritionists. They have this uh, index called the Healthy Eating Index. And what that does is that you can imagine if you were to tell me all the foods that you ate yesterday, I could uh, score you on how closely you align to the dietary guidelines for Americans. So this is like, you know, the food guide pyramid or the uh, my plate. And so as you eat, uh, as you get closer to the recommendation for fruits, for example, then you can get, you can max, you can max out the fruit score. And we do this for all the different components. There's 13 different components. And so we looked at the individual components to see where is this coming from. And we saw that it mainly came from the healthy components, right? So this would be uh, parents switching from buying, getting the whole grains through the WIC program to switching to buying refined grains with their own money after they've lost WIC. Um, Another one that we saw would be uh, the WIC program provides a $9 per month uh, cash voucher to buy fresh produce. And so um, parents could switch from the fresh produce to, say, like canned uh, fruit with syrup in it. Um, and so as you go down all these different you know, items, the switching from the, the healthier items that are provided through WIC to the not as healthy but cheaper uh, alternatives, that all adds up to a 20% decline. Mm-hmm. And you write in the study that it may not seem like 20% is a big deal, but for kids that age, it really is. Uh, tell us why. There's this whole nutrition literature, a long literature from nutritionists that show what you know. most listeners, if you've had small kids like I do, or if you've been around small kids, you know it takes a lot of work to get kids to eat 
healthfully, right? Or to try a new food like broccoli. And so the WIC program is providing this opportunity for parents to have these healthy foods and have these repeated exposures for kids. And you can build up this kind of nutrition capital, so to speak. Um, but we also know from the nutrition literature, and again, anecdotally, you know, most parents would know this, is that it's quite easy for kids to have a, a reversion, right? To say, oh, well, I don't need to have the broccoli. I'd rather have the French fries, right? And then that's really hard to overcome once you slip down that way. So for these kids, you know, that, that have been on WIC for years, building up this nutrition capital, and then all of a sudden, just because their birthday is, you know, happens to be in the fall or the winter, and their parents are not able to afford those healthier versions of, of food that was provided through WIC, you can have this reversion that can happen quite quickly. And, and it could take some time to get back up to that trend that they were on. One way, as you write, to keep kids on WIC longer or to keep them on WIC nutrition levels longer would be a policy fix, a so-called kindergarten roll-off, which was proposed in the House and Senate in 2021. How would that fix the problem? Yeah, so, um, yeah, this was proposed in 2021. It's been proposed again since our uh, our study was published in just last May in 2023. And actually, it's been proposed uh, uh, numerous times in Congress before. and I'll just note that it's bipartisan. There's uh, Democrats and Republicans that support this bill. It's just never made it out of the out of out of a committee. So we're talking about a very very small amount to allow kids to stay on on WIC until they enter kindergarten. That would allow this seamless transition and, and maintain diet quality because that's what we find for the kids that are on WIC and transition into the school meal program seamlessly. They there's no reduction in in the quality of their diets. Associate Professor of Agricultural and Applied Economics Travis Smith is co-lead of a study on what happens when kids age out of WIC, the USDA's special supplemental nutrition program for women, infants, and children under five. Travis, thank you very much for speaking with me. Thank you, Peter. In sports, in baseball, the Braves beat the Pirates yesterday, but just barely. Final score, 6-5. to five. Michael Harris II tagged up on a sack fly, but the Pirates argued he left third base before the ball was caught. The Braves challenged that interpretation, and the umpires ultimately saw it the Braves' way, giving the Braves the edge. Also noteworthy, Ronald Acuna Jr. had three hits on the night, and that is after being hit by pitch in the elbow the day before and having to leave the game early. And today, the Braves played the final game of the four-game series, losing to the Pirates 7-5. The Braves now head to New York for a three-game series against the Mets before returning home on Monday to start a three-game series against the New York Yankees. And that is it for this edition of Georgia Today. If you want to learn more about these stories, go to gpb.org news. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back with you tomorrow afternoon. If you have feedback or a story idea, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email. The address is georgiatoday at gpb.org. I'm Peter Biello. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.